story with me Love who you want to be, who you are Learn these lessons and we'll go far It's story time Story time Story time with Mama G Hello everybody It is Mama G here And you are listening to Storytime with Mama G, the podcast. I hope you are all well. I hope you have all had a fantastic week. And if you celebrated Easter, I hope you had a gorgeous Easter. And if you don't celebrate Easter, I hope you had a lovely weekend. It was certainly very sunny. But then here in the UK, it also snowed this week. What a confusion. No one knows what's going on. And that's how you know that I am authentically British, because within the first minute of this podcast, I started talking about the weather. Now, of course, if you'd like to suggest other topics for me to talk about, you can always find me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. You just need to search for at Stories. Now, today... I have a rather special story for you. I have delved deep into the annals of British children's literature for you all once again because you all enjoyed Oscar Wilde's The Canterville Ghost so much. And last week during my show, Mama G's Storytime Extravaganza, I told my version of Oscar Wilde's The Selfish Giant, which everyone loved. So I thought I might explore the works of another Victorian British author, not Oscar Wilde this time, but Kenneth Graham. Now, Kenneth Graham, you might recognise his name because he wrote The Wind in the Willows. And I'm now questioning whether he was Victorian. He might have been Edwardian, but he might have been born in the Victorian period. I'll look into that and I'll tell you maybe next week. Because this is at least a two-parter. It might be a three-parter. I'm not sure. But this is a short story that Kenneth Graham wrote that is also quite well known alongside The Wind in the Willows. Not that short, obviously, because I have had to split it into several parts, but considerably shorter than The Wind in the Willows. It's called The Reluctant Dragon. And it's rather magical, rather lovely, and I really rather hope that you enjoy it. Long ago, might have been hundreds of years ago, in a cottage halfway between this village and yonder shoulder of the downs up there, a shepherd lived with his wife and their little son. Now the shepherd spent his days, and at certain times of the year his nights too, up on the wide ocean bosom of the downs, with only the sun and the stars and the sheep for company, and the friendly chattering world of men and women far out of sight and hearing. But his little son, when he wasn't helping his father, and often when he was as well, spent much of his time buried in big volumes that he borrowed from the affable gentry and interested parsons of the country round about. 
and his parents were very fond of him, and rather proud of him too, though they didn't let on in his hearing, so he was left to go his own way and read as much as he liked. And instead of frequently getting a cuff on the side of the head, as might very well have happened to him, he was treated more or less as an equal by his parents, who sensibly thought it a very fair division of labour that they should supply the practical knowledge and he the book learning. They knew that book learning often came in useful at a pinch, in spite of what their neighbours said. What the boy chiefly dabbled in was natural history and fairy tales, and he just took them as they came, in a sandwichy sort of way, without making any distinctions, and really his course of reading strikes one as rather sensible. One evening, the shepherd, who for some nights past had been disturbed and preoccupied and off his usual mental balance, came home all of a tremble, and sitting down at the table where his wife and son were peacefully employed, she with her scene, he in following out the adventures of the giant with no heart in his body, exclaimed with much agitation, It's all up with me, Maria. Never no more can I go up on them there downs. Was it ever so? Now, don't you take on like that, said his wife, who was a very sensible woman. But tell us all about it first. Whatever it has given you this shake-up, and then me and you and the sun here, between us, we ought to be able to get to the bottom of it. It began some nights ago, said the shepherd. You know that cave up there. I never liked it somehow, and the sheep never liked it neither. And when sheep don't like a thing, there's generally some reason for it. Well, for some time past, there's been faint noises coming from that cave. Noises like heavy sighings, with grunts mixed up in them. And sometimes snoring. Far away, down real snoring. Yet somehow, not honest snoring, like you and me are nights, you know. I know remarked the boy quietly. Of course, I was terribly frightened, the shepherd went on, yet somehow I couldn't keep away. So this very evening, before I come down, I took a cast around by the cave quietly, and there, oh Lord, there I saw him at last, as plain as I see you. Saw who? said his wife, beginning to share in her husband's nervous terror. Why, him! I'm a-telling you, said the shepherd. He was sticking halfway out of the cave and seemed to be enjoying the cool of the evening in a poetical sort of way. He was as big as four cart horses and all covered with shiny scales, deep blue scales at the top of him, shaded off to a tender sort of green below. As he breathed, there was that sort of flicker over his nostrils that you see over our chalk roads on a bacon windless day in summer. He had his chin on his paws, and I should say he was meditating about things. Oh yes, a peaceable sort of beast enough, and not ramping or carrying on or doing anything that was quite right and proper. I admit all that. And yet what am I to do? Scales, you know, and claws, and a tail for certain, though I didn't see that end of him. I ain't used to him, and I don't hold with him, and that's a fact. The boy who had apparently been absorbed in his book during his father's recital, now closed the volume, yawned, clasped his hands behind his head, and said sleepily, It's all right, father. 
Don't you worry. It's only a dragon. Only a dragon? cried his father. What do you mean sitting there, you and your dragons? Only a dragon indeed. And what do you know about it? Because it is, and because I do know, replied the boy quietly. Look here, father. You know we've each of us got our line. You know about sheep and weather and things. I know about dragons. I always said, you know, that that cave up there was a dragon cave. I always said it must have belonged to a dragon sometime, and ought to belong to a dragon now if rules count for anything. Well, now you tell me it has got a dragon, and so that's all right. I'm not half as much as surprised as when you told me it hadn't got a dragon. Rolls always come right if you wait quietly. Now please, just leave this all to me, and I'll stroll up tomorrow morning. No, in the morning I can't. I've got a whole heap of things on to do, actually. Well, perhaps in the evening, if I'm quite free, I'll go up and have a talk to him. And you'll find it'll be all right. Only, please, don't you go worrying round there without me. You don't understand them a bit, and they're very sensitive, you know. He's quite right, father, said the sensible mother. As he says, dragons is his line and not ours. He's wonderful knowing about book beasts as everyone allows. And to tell the truth, I'm not half happy in my own mind thinking of that poor animal lying alone up there without a bit of hot supper or anyone to change the news with. And maybe we'll be able to do something for him. And if he ain't quite respectable, our boy will find it out quick enough. He's got a pleasant sort of way with him that makes everybody tell him everything. Next day, after he'd had his tea, the boy strolled up the chalky track that led to the summit of the downs. And there, sure enough, he found the dragon, stretched lazily on the sward in front of his cave. The view from that point was a magnificent one. To the right and left, the bare and willowy leagues of downs. In front, the vale, with its clustered homesteads, its threads of white roads running through orchards and well-tilled acreage, and, far away, a hint of grey old cities on the horizon. A cool breeze played over the surface of the grass, and the silver shoulder of a large moon was showing above distant junipers. No wonder the dragon seemed in a peaceful and contented mood. Indeed, as the boy approached, he could hear the beast purring with a happy regularity. Well, we live and learn, he said to himself. None of my books ever told me that dragons purred. Hello, dragon, said the boy quietly when he had got up to him. The dragon, on hearing the approaching footsteps, made the beginning of a courteous effort to rise. But when he saw it was a boy, he set his eyebrows severely. Now don't you hit me, he said, or bung stones or squirt water or anything. I won't have it, I tell you. Not going to hit you, said the boy wearily, dropping on the grass beside the beast. And don't, for goodness' sake, keep on saying don't. I hear so much of it, and it's monotonous and makes me tired. I've simply looked in to ask how you were, and all that sort of thing. But if I'm in the way, I can easily clear out. I've lots of friends, and no one can say I'm in the habit of shoving myself in where I'm not wanted. No, no, don't go off in a huff, said the dragon hastily. Fact is, I'm as happy up here as the day's long. Never without an occupation, dear fellow, never without an occupation. And yet, between ourselves, 
It is a trifle dull at times. The boy bit off a stalk of grass and chewed it. Going to make a long stay here? He asked politely. Can't hardly say at present, replied the dragon. It seems a nice place enough, but I've only been here a short time, and one must look about and reflect and consider before settling down. It's a rather serious thing, settling down. Besides, now I'm going to tell you something. You'd never guess it if you tried ever so. Fact is, I'm such a confoundedly lazy beggar. You surprise me, said the boy civilly. It's the sad truth, the dragon went on, settling down between his paws and evidently delighted to have found a listener at last. And I fancy that's really how I came to be here. You see, all the other fellows were so active and earnest and all that sort of thing, always rampaging and skirmishing and scouring the desert sands and pacing the margin of the sea and chasing knights all over the place and devouring damsels and going on you know, generally. Whereas I liked to get my meals regular and then to prop my back against a bit of rock and snooze a bit and wake up and think of things going on and how they kept going on just the same, you know. So when it happened, I got fairly caught. When what happened, please? asked the boy. That's just what I don't precisely know, said the dragon. I suppose the earth sneezed, or shook itself, or the bottom dropped out of something. Anyway, there was a shake, and a roar, and a general stramish, and I found myself miles away underground and wedged in as tight as tight. Well, thank goodness my wants are few, and at any rate, I had peace and quietness and wasn't always asked to come along and do something. And I've got such an active mind, always occupied, I assure you. But time went on, and there was a certain sameness about the life, and at last I began to think it would be fun to work my way upstairs and see what you other fellows are doing. So I scratched and burrowed and worked this way and that way, and at last I came out through this cave here, and I like the country and the view and the people, what I've seen of them, and on the whole I feel inclined to settle down here. "'What's your mind always occupied about?' asked the boy. "'That's what I want to know.' The dragon coloured slightly and looked away. Presently, he said bashfully, "'Did you ever, just for fun, try to make up poetry, verses, you know?' "'Course I have,' said the boy. "'Heaps of it, and some of it is quite good. "'I feel sure, only there's no one here cares about it. Mother's very kind and all that when I read it to her, and so's father for that matter. But somehow they don't seem to... Exactly, cried the dragon. My own case, exactly. They don't seem to... And you can't argue with them about it. Now you've got culture, you have. I could tell it on you at once, and I should just like your candid opinion about some little things I threw off lightly when I was down there. I'm awfully pleased to have met you, and I'm hoping the other neighbours will be equally agreeable. There was a very nice old gentleman up here only last night, and he didn't seem to want to intrude. That was my father, said the boy, and he is a nice old gentleman, and I'll introduce you some day if you like. Can't you two come up here and dine or something tomorrow? asked the dragon eagerly. Only, of course, if you've got nothing better to do, he added politely. Thanks awfully, said the boy, but we don't go out anywhere without my mother, 
And to tell you the truth, I am afraid she mightn't quite approve of you. You see, there's no getting over the hard fact that you are a dragon, is there? And when you talk of settling down and the neighbours and so on, I can't help feeling that you don't quite realise your position. You're an enemy of the human race, you see. Haven't got an enemy in the world, said the dragon cheerfully. Too lazy to make him to begin with. And if I do read other fellows my poetry, I'm always ready to listen to theirs. Oh dear, cried the boy. I wish you'd try and grasp the situation properly. When the other people find you out, they'll come after you with spears and swords and all sorts of things. You'll have to be exterminated according to their way of looking at it. You're a scourge and a pest and a baneful monster. Not a word of truth in it, said the dragon, wagging his head solemnly. Character'll bear the strictest investigation. And now, there's a little sonnet thing I was working on when you appeared on the scene. Oh, if you won't be sensible, cried the boy getting up, I'm going off home. No, I can't stop for sonnets. My mother's sitting up. I'll look you up tomorrow, sometime or other, and do for goodness' sake try and realise that you're a pestilential scourge, or you'll find yourself in a most awful fix. Good night. The boy found it an easy matter to set the mind of his parents' ease about his new friend. They had always left that branch to him, and they took his word without a murmur. The shepherd was formally introduced, and many compliments and kind inquiries were exchanged. His wife, however, though expressing her willingness to do anything she could to mend things or set the cave to rights or cook a little something when the dragon had been poring over sonnets and forgotten his meals, as male things will do, could not be brought to recognise him formally. The fact that he was a dragon, and they didn't know who he was, seemed to count for everything with her. She made no objection, however, to her little son spending his evenings with the dragon quietly, so long as he was home by nine o'clock, and many a pleasant night they had, sitting on the sward while the dragon told stories of old, old times, when dragons were quite plentiful, and the world was a livelier place than it is now, and life was full of thrills and jumps and surprises. What the boy had feared, however, soon came to pass. The most modest and retiring dragon in the world, if he's as big as four cart horses and covered with blue scales, cannot keep altogether out of the public view. And so, in the village tavern of nights, the fact that a real live dragon sat brooding in the cave on the downs was naturally a subject for talk. Though the villagers were extremely frightened, they were rather proud as well. It was a distinction to have a dragon of your own, and it was felt to be a feather in the cap of the village. Still, all were agreed that this sort of thing couldn't be allowed to go on. The dreadful beast must be exterminated. The countryside must be freed from this pest, this terror. The fact that not even a hen roost was the worse for the dragon's arrival wasn't allowed to have anything to do with it. He was a dragon, and he couldn't deny it. And if he didn't choose to behave as such, that was his own lookout. But in spite of much valiant talk, no hero was found willing to take sword and spear and free the suffering village and win deathless fame. And each night's heated discussion always ended in nothing. Meanwhile, the dragon, a happy bohemian, lolled on the turf, enjoyed the sunsets, told antediluvian anecdotes to the boy, 
and polished his old verses while meditating on fresh ones. Hope you enjoyed that, the first part of The Reluctant Dragon by Kenneth Graham. Now, something I do love about Kenneth Graham's work, and I've always loved since I first read it when I was little, is that it always feels sunny. You always feel like you're on the edge of spring and summer. You can almost smell the flowers, smell the grass hear the birds chirping in the trees. It's, he just writes so magically about the countryside. It's marvellous. Uh, well, shall we recommend a book of the week? I think we shall. I feel like it will come as no surprise to you that today's book of the week is related to the main story itself. And that is not to say that it is a story about dragons or it is a story about uh, reluctant things. It is, of course, The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. Now, The Wind in the Willows is quite an old book. I believe it was published over a hundred years ago, which means that now it's in the public domain which means it's out of copyright, which so anyone can publish it. Unfortunately, anyone can read it. So maybe one day I will read it on the podcast, you lucky things. But that does mean that lots and lots and lots of people have published the story at this point. And I don't blame them because it's an absolutely marvellous story that I have long loved. I've seen stage versions Alan Bennett, a very famous English author, wrote a stage version for the National Theatre about 30 years ago. Can you believe that? And Styles and Drew, they did a musical version, which I saw. And uh, there's been countless TV adaptations, several films. But it's just the most marvellous and beautiful book about Little Mole, who creeps out of his mole hole, uh, looks around the world, gets a little bit confused, a little bit lost, and he finds Ratty, and they uh, have a lovely time on the river, and then Ratty takes them to meet uh, his friend Badger, who's a bit grumpy, and likes things to be done the old way, and then they have to go and check on their friend Toad, and Mr. Toad is probably one of the most famous characters in English children's literature, because he's a very over-the-top, very extravagant person, who's always got an answer for everything, and always wants to try new things. Uh, now, Toad does get into a, quite a bit of trouble trying new things, and he's very flighty, so he's trying new things all the time and forgetting about the things that he's just tried. Um, 
and he gets the attention of the weasels. And the weasels are the baddies of that piece. And they try and take over his house, but it doesn't go terribly well. Now, uh, it's such a fun book. It's very, very whimsical, and all the characters are beautiful. There's also uh, Otter and his son, who we meet, who I always remember being lots and lots of fun. Well, I very much recommend that you find this book somewhere, and there are so many versions available. You are They are not in short supply, so do not panic about that. But doing my research into which version I would like to recommend to you, I came across something rather marvellous, which is that the History Press have published a version of The Wind in the Willows where you can provide your own illustrations. There's space in the book for you to draw the scene that is being described. Now, the illustrations to The Wind in the Willows, I believe they're by somebody called Ernest H. Shepherd, and they're very famous and very iconic. And we also always have a book with pictures in, don't we? So it's very exciting that one of the publishers has given you the opportunity to do the pictures yourself. And I can remember when I went from reading books with pictures to reading books without pictures, the first one I remember reading actually was Mr. Majika, which is about a magician that lives in a windmill. And I was a bit upset that my grandmother was suggesting that I read a book without pictures because I like looking at art. I'm very cultured, you see. But she pointed out to me that the best thing to do was I could read a chapter and then I could draw a picture of my favourite bit. And that was very exciting because that got me to think about what I was reading even more and to use my imagination even more. So this book seems like the ideal opportunity for you to read a beautiful novel written for children and enjoyed by adults. And you can also draw the pictures as you go along. Now, if you do get this book and you do draw the pictures, send them to me. Let me see them. I'd love to see your artwork. Now, as usual, if you go to bookshop.org and my, find my affiliate page, uh, you can buy the book through there and you'll be supporting your local bookshop as well. Um, the link will be in the description to this podcast. So the book of the week is the Illustrate It Yourself, The Wind in the Willows. Thank you, you lovely lot, for joining me today for Storytime with Mama G. Don't forget you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Just search for at Mama G Stories. And every Sunday I am on Glitterbeam Radio at 1pm. You can listen at glitterbeam.co.uk or on the Glitterbeam app. Uh, I'm quite busy next week. I'm doing story times for Redbridge Libraries and the uh, Blameless, which is a charity up in Glasgow. But uh, I do have things coming up in the pipeline that I'm very excited to tell you about, but I cannot tell you about just yet. So uh, sit there in hopeful anticipation. But I will see you on Sunday at 1pm. Well, I won't see you on Sunday at 1pm, but you can hear me at Sunday on Sunday at 1pm and I will talk better than I am talking now and of course I will be back next Friday with uh, the second half of The Reluctant Dragon so I'll see you then bye it's story time with Mama G come and hear a story with me love who you want to be who you 
are Learn these lessons and we'll go far It's story time Story time Story time